and welcome to New Age Raid, a podcast about spirituality in the modern age. My name is Brody, and I'll be your host. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. It's uh, been quite a while. Life has been its own piece of work lately. Um, if you're familiar with the astrology of it, it's utter garbage, and it's been hitting me pretty hard, so I've had a, a little bit more of a difficult time keeping up with the episodes, but I have been doing interviews and I wanted to make sure they get out. Um, so this interview was with uh, Matt Cosper. Um, he's a friend of mine. We both run in the same circles in Room Soup, and he um, offered himself up to be interviewed. And we had this uh, really interesting conversation. I uh, covered all kinds of things. Um, Matt runs a theater company in North Carolina where he lives called uh, XOXO. A performance and we kind of talk about the intersection of theater with magic how um embodying different characters and things can be a magical act but also i mean we talk about all kinds of things about death um about loss about having a more concrete magic practice after just a you know, cutting through the brush um, really haphazardly. Um, but also what it means to be in community, whiteness, it's really all over the place. Um, but that's the thing I love about these conversations is we hit so many subjects and we're able to pull out some some really good nuggets. So I enjoyed this conversation and re-listening to it. And um, the editing on it is fairly light, but um, I'm just going to go ahead and let it speak for itself. And I hope you enjoy. All right, welcome to New Age Raid. I am here with Matt Cosper. Did I say that right? Yes. Perfect. Okay, and we are gonna talk about a bunch of stuff. <laughs> but first, I decided I've had, I've, I've decided on an inaugural question that I'm just gonna ask everybody. And that's, um, what's reality anyway, Matt? Oh, wow. <laughs> I, you can spitball because I know it's a huge question, but I like to see how people react to it. I I, I slung that at Ulysses last time around, and <laughs> um, that's really intense, man. I think uh, I the answer changes for me, like from morning to night, like, um, and I guess that's like, I feel like part of my like life project is just arriving at some sort of coherent. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, at different times in my life, I've been a pretty strict materialist. I think that's because I was, I like dated a philosopher uh, and she said she was a materialist. And so I was like, oh yes, I'm a materialist too. That that sounds right. <laughs> yeah. No, and I, I, I agree with that. I think mine changes all the time, especially since like, <clears throat> for me, it was leaving fundamental Christianity and then having that like, that certainty about everything, right? I was like, I know what's going to happen when I die. I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. And then having that destroyed. And it's just like, man, anything goes. As far as I'm concerned, my reality could be entirely different from someone else's, right? Um, so I think that's a good answer. I think that's what most people I've asked it to have landed at this point. They're just like, man, I don't fucking know. <laughs> my wife grew up in the um, sort of, evangelical uh like really intense evangelical upbringing and um she had that same experience of like of leaving 
the church and sort of having to like be like well what is my metaphysics like what do i what do i think is is real and um i like was really lucky i guess my dad became really conservative christian later in life but like i wasn't raised going to church when we when we first moved to north carolina from california we went to church a little bit but i think it was more because it was like a social thing we yeah. moved to everyone we met was like where do you go to church um and so like yeah i just i my parents never tried to indoctrinate me with anything. Um, my mom, it's funny. I remember like when you would talk to her, both my parents have, are, are dead, um, but when they were living, I would talk to them. Um, my mom, you would talk to her about this kind of stuff and she always like sounded like a Buddhist, like yeah. uh, <laughs> the way she speak about like, um, and it's funny, like looking back on it, I remember her having like, the power of your subconscious mind and some so like these sort of like new thought uh books on the shelf when i was a kid yeah and she took me to a, a a church called unity unity of charlotte which um i looking back i think really informed my understanding more than i knew like they would talk about the christ consciousness and oh. it was very like um i don't know if they're a cult i don't know but um yeah i, I don't know i just i I think I, I grew up not being indoctrinated or told any one thing. And, and I think I, I sort of, uh, I came to um, what I think most people will, will come to if, if they're left to their own devices, which is sort of a, like a, an animism of sorts. Like, I think I always just kind of assumed that I was a, a part of an intelligent thing, <laughs> a part of like a living system and, um, Although it's funny, when I was younger, like in my teens and, and 20s, I think I, I've always like known magic was real, like, and that I was participating in it. That there was a thing that either through art making or just like living my life, I was doing magic. But I remember like, you know, in journals from when I'm like 20, making notes like, um, magic is psychology and physics. Um, yeah. using knowledge of those things to navigate reality. Um, and so there wasn't much room for like a spirit uh, component, yeah. I think. Uh, and that's changed as I've gotten older. I think actually when I went through my Saturn return, um, both my parents died during that time within three months of each other. Um, and an aunt died two really close, like a, a very close friend and a mentor died, like a bunch of people died all at once and um, started talking to me. And um, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. But I actually, what's funny is I do also have memories of being a small child, like like four, like three or four years old. And, and like my grandfather, my mom's dad died when I was one. And like, I have a memory of, talking to this old man in, in my grandma's backyard in the garden and then coming inside and like telling her about it and her being like, what, <laughs> what? <Yeah. laughs> I guess that was my grandpa. Um, so I think when I was really little, I had sort of woo-woo um, side experiences. And then like, uh, as soon as puberty hit, I started, and like my parents got divorced, puberty hit, there were some other traumas. And I think I just, tr I tried to numb out for like a couple decades with drugs. Um, and then I got 
soberish and uh and started really kind of like focusing my attention on on what reality is like yeah. i'm trying to figure out like what i think this all means and the the woo came back the woo came back oh i'm gonna keep that one that's a nice phrase <laughs> um and I, it's funny how much um because i i'm currently going through saturn return so what do we got four more months and i'm done <laughs> Because I'm sat in cap, so. Yeah, so the, my wife is too. That's. Yeah, my wife's about to get her turn because she's sat in Aquarius. So, um, but she just every time I talk to her about astrology, she's just like, "I'm just gonna ignore everything you just said and act like it doesn't exist." And I'm like, "I that's a choice you you can make." Um, your own uh, time. Yeah. Well, and I remember because um, that I feel like themes of of just death come up during Saturn returns. I guess it depends on where it's at, right? But um, I know I had my grandma die. And I'm, I'm really weird um, in the sense that like, I blame Aquarius moon or whatever, but I tend to be really detached. Um, and so I don't cry terribly often. I've cried more times in the past year than I have in my entire life, probably. It's, it's a real trip. <laughs> but I remember being at her funeral and the thing that got me, like I had been stoned until then. She, she passed away from cancer. It had been a couple days and we were at her funeral. Right. And my, my family's heavily Mormon. So it was all the, all the trappings of that and whatnot. But the thing about Mormons is it's a tight knit family unit. Right. So there's tons of grandkids and cousins and, and aunts and uncles, everyone um, together. And one of the things that, happened is um i have a cousin and he's he's a little bit um challenged i don't know how exact i want to say he might be on the autism scale a bit but he just grabbed a flower and went up and put it on her casket and then every grandkid went went and did it and just seeing this line of descendants and i was part of that you know put and it just broke me down into tears it was hard to like and that you know my wife asks me after like what kind of why did, why were you crying? Like what happened? Cause I don't cry very often. Right. And I was just like, I think the lesson was even though me and my grandma are in different places, right. She died, you know, probably the most Mormon person I ever knew, but like, I feel like she embodied legit awesome Mormonism. I think there's parts of Mormonism that can be oppressive and patriarchal and bad but she was just honestly the most Christ-like woman I ever met. She was always kind. I'd never heard her say anything mean to anybody. Um, but just seeing the fact that like she died and she had this whole legacy of kids and descendants that were there all at that moment when she died. And I was like, that's what it's about. That's important. Like that's what kind of struck through to me. Um, not that that's, I don't know if that's, it's somewhat related to what you just said, but I was just like, yeah, I get, that whole Saturn return and then having death show up and trying to write your relationship with it as a thing. I think that that's, um, you know, we like you, there's sort of this notion about the Saturn return that uh, as a generalized kind of like, ah, everything goes to hell. And, um, but I've also heard that, you know, you, you, during your first Saturn return, you become the adult you're going to be. Yeah. I think there's nothing more sort of, uh, uh, nothing more adulting like nothing that's like nothing makes you an adult like recognizing death and at least in some ways starting the process of coming to terms with with death um 
the mortality of the people that you love and your own mortality. That's like, I think that's what being an adult is, is knowing that it's not forever. Yeah, and I think about all the things that are happening right now with the virus and, and other stuff. And I think I found it to be a particular blessing to at least have started um, writing a relationship with death, I guess, um, in that, like, I think one of the things that has made this so terrifying for a lot of people is that I think a lot of people for the first time in their lives are having to think about, like, death, like, either for themselves or for, you know, their loved ones who are old or um, particularly susceptible to this specific virus, right? And I think, um, I think a lot of people weren't prepared for it. And I've, I felt grateful that like, I've always had this weird relationship with death where I'm kind of like, it sounds crazy, but I'm like half excited for it <laughs> because I feel like we get answers, right? Um, obviously I'm scared of the pain or I'm scared of like leaving people behind who weren't ready for it. And I'm also scared of loved ones dying. Um, but there's always been like this weird fascination with it on my part of just being like, man, I'm just excited to figure out or not even figure out, just get a piece. Yeah. yeah. I am. Um, it's funny. I always kind of joke that experiencing so much loss at once simultaneously made me, um, really really um sympathetic to people now when they when they lose someone yeah. uh, and at the same time i'm also kind of like okay whatever like it happens <laughs> like welcome to the club the death occurs right um and i i hope that i can that i manage to carry both of those things um in my relationships with people sort of equally like um and allow my friends and loved ones who experience grief to to experience that fully, but also to help them understand that um, death is not a unique thing that has happened just to them. It's part of the deal. And um, yeah, I have a um, I'm a Aquarius uh, rising, uh, so Saturn rules my uh, chart. And yeah. <laughs> uh, with this Aquarius rising and a Scorpio moon, like I uh, death is a thing that I'm. Uh, I'm, I'm comfortable with. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was like, I, I think about that. And I was just like, you just noted two placements that I have within my family. They're not mine. I'm, I think my wife is a Scorpio moon. And then one of my daughters is an Aquarius rising. And so I'm just like, oh, so that's what that's like. <laughs> my wife is an Aquarius moon. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, it's funny though, because she's a cancer son. So I don't think of her as a um, robot. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, it's yeah it's funny we uh yeah that's interesting it's really i've gotten fascinating just thinking uh, fascinated just thinking about the the placements you know like my parents are are past and so like i i don't know their their birth times so like i know i i know what their um you know i know where the the placements are but i don't know their rising i don't know what the the houses are for them and that drives me mad cuz i'm doing a lot of um, ancestor work and I'm I'm getting really interested in like wanting to to use that frame or that lens of astrology to understand these people that um, I don't have mundane contact with anymore you know yeah. well speaking of ancestor work that's one of the kind of questions I I would like to to ask you and I kind of ask everybody right is kind of like what does um, well first how long would you consider yourself a 
I guess you've always believed in magic, like you said, but how, how long would you say you've been a practicing occultist or, <laughs> or whatever term we want to use? Yeah, I am. Um, there's like, there's two answers to that. One, I think um, I was initiated by life at a very young age. I had some weird, um, not entirely pleasant things happen to me when I was really small. And I think they, um, I think they affected me. Um, yeah, and I was always kind of a, a little weirdo. Um, but, um, and through, and really through my, my teen years and 20s, like, again, like, I felt like I was, like, I, I was interested in magic. Um, I wasn't reading, like, hardcore stuff. Like, I remember finding a, a Robert Anton Wilson book when I was in my teens and loving it and kind of getting interested in him and reading like uh, some of the beats, like reading William Burroughs, who um, I, I didn't quite understand at the time that he was like an actual magician. Um, so I, I, I think I knew it. And I also kind of intuited that like, um, what I was doing in the theater was based in ritual and was based in sort of uh, embodied um, invocation like as a performer I kind of knew there was this magic thing happening but um about five years ago five or six years ago I um I went to work in Italy for a summer and I kind of look at that as a um another initiation experience it's funny I think um I've had two experiences abroad one in Prague and then one in um, Spoleto, Italy, that felt like initiations of sorts. Um, yeah. And uh, this last one in, um, in Italy marked a really, uh, a shift into some really focused work. Um, and so I would say like the last five years, I've been getting more and more serious about it. And then in the last two, two and a half years, has been um, really stepping it up in terms of like a daily meditation regime, dream journaling, um, ancestor work, um, and like proper practical enchantment, you know, like doing the stuff. Awesome. I mean, I find sometimes I, I really wish I could nail down what I'm trying to do because um, I have a Gemini ninth house. So I feel like I tend to just hop all over the place and get very um, surface level on things. Um, one of the things I've been trying to do lately is just like really um, pinpoint like, okay, what things are you going to do every day? Cause that's, that's your real practice. I feel like. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like I, I find myself um, really envious of a lot of um, the people that we're around. <laughs> well, I remember you tweeting uh, recently about, I think it was Metatron, right? <laughs> and you don't have to talk about that necessarily, but I was just like, man, I've, I've been dying to have that kind of an experience where you're just like, what the fuck just happened kind of a thing. And I don't think it hasn't, um, I've had something, I've had things close, I feel like. Um, but at the same time, um, it's part of the real reason I'm, I'm like really interested in magic is because I'm like, I'm trying to find that experience, which is probably why I haven't had it yet. Uh, <laughs> that whole Lester yeah. result yeah, is a real thing. Um, it's funny though, because like from 
I mean, through my whole life, I w- I've, I've gone back and forth from having really intense, like, um, borderline frightening or just undeniable, like these experiences where you're like, wow, okay, like yeah. the sublime magic is real. I just experienced a spirit. Wow, that's, um, I've had those kinds of experiences. And a lot of times it feels like dumb beginner's luck or, or I think for me, something I'm trying to develop and, and it's been a, what the last two years have been about is trying to develop technique. Um, there's a quote that I really love that I heard. Um, it's, it's connected to art. Uh, it's connected to theater, but I think it applies to um, really anything that you do. And it's, um, it's, I can't remember the guy's name. He's a, like a medieval Japanese playwright. He, uh, he created the form called no, no drama. And he said, um, the gist of it is that um, young people are very watchable, right? Like you put a young person on stage, they're, they're beautiful, they're energetic, they've got the sort of charisma of youth. And so you're, it's easy to watch them. And he called that the flower of youth. He said though, the flower of youth fades. And by the time the flower of youth fades, you had better have tended to the flower of craft. Because that's the thing that you can really rest on. And that's the thing that's going to carry you after your sort of youthful uh, charms have faded. And I think that most of my life, my experience with magic, my experience with the other, um, these sort of other dimensions or these other ways of being have been or were, they were almost accidental. Like I just, I knew I had like access to them because I was weird or whatever or I could, I could sort of slip into states that, um, that felt different. Or if I really thought about things, I could kind of make stuff go the way I wanted it to just by focusing on it. Um, but I, in the last couple of years, I've been like, okay, that's not enough. Like I want to learn how to consistently, I want to practice. I want a daily practice um, so that I can navigate my life um, more confidently and more, um, more magically. I want to enchant my world thoroughly and with intention. Yeah. And I think, I think sometimes I, I'm, I end up being a little bit too hard on myself because, um, I've been doing this for like a year at this point, if you count my Buddhist time, like, which I think cause it's meditation, it's something that's kind of basic to everything you count. Um, and I'm just like, but I've only been doing this for a little while. I mean, there's another part of me that wonders if I should discount my whole entire Mormon history because they're definitely doing something magical. Um, I think I have a good basis in prayer because of Mormonism and, and um, ancestor work. It's funny that um, Mormonism relies really heavily on doing work for your ancestors. The whole point being that you're giving saving ordinances to them. So you find out who they were and their names and when and where they were born um, and so now I'm like super excited to have an access, access to that treasure trove of information that all of my parents and grandparents have already done. Um, but the thing that got me actually excited enough to do it was magic. <laughs> so I'm, I'm interested in doing, um, ancestor stuff, but it's just, I think I get overwhelmed. There's too, there's too much. There's so many different ways you can do this and really nailing down what you're going to choose to do seems to be, um, a hard choice to make, at least for someone like me. <laughs> I think there's a lot to be said for finding um, like, like 
identifying a spectrum between like what comes naturally, like what you feel naturally called to and finding practices around that. And then also at the other end, finding stuff that like you're scared of or that doesn't feel right and picking some practices around that and, and like sort of riding a wave between those two ends of the spectrum. Yeah, I, I think, man, I've been, there's this recent experience where I feel like I was trying to legit scare the shit out of myself because one of my big things that I've been trying to do is that whole becoming invincible. Part of me is just like, do I need to? Because I'm already not really that worried about death um, per se in that sense. Yeah. If that qualifies as being invincible. At the same time, I do want that undeniable experience. Um, and, and so I've been doing things like going out into the woods at night <laughs> and just getting scared. <laughs> I think that that's, you, you make, a, you raise an interesting point because I do think part of becoming invincible is like, just being like, okay, becoming okay with death. I think that's part of it. But I also think it's, it's, it's that experience of uh, not just it's going to be okay when I die, but this shit is real. And I, and I can't, like, this is the difference between intellectually understanding, oh, cool, like, um, reality is being created in every moment out of chaos and I could see how I could potentially like nudge it in the direction I want it to. Like there's an intellectual understanding of that. And then there's a visceral hair on the back of your neck standing up experience of, Oh shit, reality just shifted because of something I did yeah. or the experience of, wow, there's something in the room with me that wasn't here before. <laughs> that's, that's becoming invincible, right? Cause then when you go, to the grocery store and someone cuts you off in the parking lot and the anger, the animal anger response starts rising, you go, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I don't yeah. like that has nothing to do with what's really what my real purpose here is or the work I'm really trying to do. Yeah, I think part of it's I think that's the thing is like I, I do have a shut up and calculate kind of attitude towards it in the sense that I'm just like, if I mess around with this stuff for long enough, something's gonna happen. Um, yeah. I think yeah. it's it's for me, it might be a matter of like, I've got two young kids and a day job. And sometimes it's just hard to, to yeah. nail down the, to create the proper environment for like, you know, having think, something like that happen. I think the meditation is huge. Like I've got um, uh, someone who's a, an I used to teach I used to, at, at school who has asked me, they, you know, like my students kind of, they, I think they pick up on the fact that I'm perhaps um, unconventionally religious um, <laughs> and a student who's kind of asking about magic. And like, I was like, well, you need to just go meditate for like, do at least a year of just meditating at least 20 minutes a day. And you'll just notice that weird shit's starting to happen. Like before you like start trying to cast spells and stuff, like get your head right. I think it was, I think it was, it was probably Gordon. It's always Gordon. We we're going to put up a sign in my house that says it has been this many days since Gordon White has been mentioned. Um, and it's usually, it's going to stay around zero, but, <laughs> but I think he said something about meditation being like the gateway drug to all of this. And I kind of hardcore agreed with that because that's, that's what started for me. Right. I left, I left Mormonism and I was reading um, Siddhartha. Right which I realize is an imperfect model of what Hinduism, Buddhism is, but it gave me enough of a taste that I was just like, I'm really curious about this. 
Um, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, there's, I mean, there's no perfect models. And I think that uh, you don't need to apologize for that book. If that book is what got you through the door, yeah. then well done. Yeah. And then I, I just started meditating and like, I would say I was fairly materialist before even being a Mormon. I was like, science is the, is the shit and we should follow it. But then I started having these experiences, um, just feeling things I couldn't explain and being yeah. like, something's here and I need to dig further. And then, um, well, this is where I'm at now. So. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like meditation's a gateway drug. <laughs> is is go, if you if you if you commit to doing it you're going to start noticing changes in your consciousness yeah. i also think it's funny i don't know if 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 mormonism fits uh in this paradigm but it really seems to me the more i think about it that uh protestant christianity at least in america seems to be sort of the handmaiden of materialism like uh and i think that's why they're so uh as a as a as a worldview, it's so sort of um, unfriendly towards magic because for the system to work, Jesus needs to be like the only magic thing that ever happened. Like we need to live in a really mundane universe so that Jesus and God are are special. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think most Protestants, like intense Protestants I've known, it's so funny to see that they seem to really buy into the story of their faith but the rest of their world has to stay pretty mundane. I guess there's some like, I've encountered some like Pentecostal people who are like um, kind of groovy with like, uh, yeah, demons are real. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember I was, I was just playing around on Insight Timer. That's how I got started was just like doing meditation. Then Insight Timer has all kinds of weird courses and other stuff on it. And so I did one on shamanic journeying, even though, <laughs> I guess, um, but like, yeah. And then having, like thinking to myself, I'm like, this, th this thing seems crazy to me. But I'm like, the stuff I believed in before wasn't any less nuts. So let's just give it a go. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I think that I, I, I don't, um, I spent so much of like my teen years and my early 20s, like, trying to put as many psychedelics into my brain as I possibly could <laughs> that I, and on the one hand, I think I was kind of running from some stuff. I was trying to like, just avoid dealing with some trauma. But the other hand, like, I think that a lot of the, um, the becoming invincible piece, like I did it just by like taking as much LSD as possible. Um, which I would never do anymore. I would never, I, I deny, I do not say no to drugs. Sorry, I just had to say that for any students who Google me. Um, oh, I was like, legal reasons. <laughs> yes, yeah, I I mean, I've only had one uh, one dose of mushrooms, but that's, that's enough <laughs> to kind of get you there. Yeah, exactly. I, again, like I said, I would never um, do that myself or recommend it. Uh, but from what I hear, <laughs> do them regularly. Uh, yeah, I mean, that stuff, there's a reason that religions, religious um, practices around the world have incorporated that kind of materia, um, because it works. Uh, it greases the wheels and allows you access to the extra mundane in a way that 
will um, will cause change to your life. Yeah, and I think that's the thing is I, I think I've always I've already experienced enough just in the in the short little year that I've been doing it. Uh, not not mushrooms, just uh, magic oriented stuff. Um, <laughs> but that just funky stuff starts happening. The things that I've been that my magic is orient oriented around, they seem to just happen. And I'm and I'm like, I don't care if I ever find out. I mean, I do care, but like, if I don't find out that this stuff is like 100% undeniable real, I'm still going to do it because it just seems to be working. And so there's that practicality on my yeah. part. That's like. Okay. A quote, I think it's Peter Carroll said, uh, magic works in practice, but not theory. Yeah. Uh, so like if it's, if it's making your life better, if, if you're haunting your world and it's making your reality a spookier, funner adventure, yep. what, <laughs> why would you not do that? You know, like, although I, I say that, and I also say that I, in my, that's what's frustrating about magic is that like, I, it works. It's a real thing and it works. Uh, it just works unpredictably and it always works uh, not how, and maybe there are magicians out there who like can get like, I want A, uh, Q and B to happen. And so I do this. I'm not that guy. Like I'm, I'm sort of thrashing in the underbrush trying to make stuff happen and stuff happens, but it always looks like, a, uh, it looks different from my, from how I imagined it and so I think um for me like my my practice now is like learning to more elegantly thrash about in the underbrush yeah and, and navigate like um just navigate for me it's all about navigation like I don't know what real because I don't know what reality is yeah. and I, I think I'm here to to figure it out and magic is a really great way to um have a have a better time of it and to to navigate. Yeah, this is interesting because um, I, I haven't told you I did this yet. But before we we met, I threw some cards um, because I was just like, "What the heck? Let's see what pops up." Just kind of like as as a guidance material, and I got um, three of cups, and then the Knight of Wands and the Knight of Pentacles. And I was just like, I'm thinking about what we're talking about. I'm like, you know what? It fits a little bit. <laughs> um, I think. Um, for one, this uh, three of cups just is always perfect for this kind of thing. I'm like, well, it's two people getting together to make something and it's kind of a, a yeah. union element in that sense. But the Knight of Wands I associate with like the go get it, like thrashing through the underbrush, just trying to figure out what's going on. And then that Knight of Pentacles is kind of the same thing, but a little bit more measured in trying to like concretize or concretize, if that's a word. <laughs> yeah and make it more systematic and practical and understandable. Um, and both of those things are coming up, I feel like. Um, yes, yeah, so I've, I've got this um, Aries stellium uh, in the third. My, my sun, Mars, and Venus are all in Aries. And I really do feel like I'm still this way to an extent, but like the first, you know, 30, 35 years of my life um, were about that thrashing in the underbrush and like I was saying, I think my my practice now is about transitioning from Knight of Wands, yeah. just riding headlong into the fire, into the Knight of Pentacles, who is gonna like study. I always love that in the in the the Wait Smith deck, the Knight of Pentacles is the only knight that's not in motion, right? Yeah. He's in 
is sitting on his horse looking, he's planning. He's actually like thinking about what he does before he rushes into action. And I, that really resonates for me in my own, uh, my own journey. Yeah, and I, I'm going to hop back to something you said earlier that sparked some thoughts in me because we, um, one of the things I meant to ask you about, you've already talked about it briefly, is this whole idea as theater, as as magic and embodied magic, and it just occurred to me, um, you know, I was I've read Peter Carroll talking. I think he calls it yellow magic, <laughs> that whole like sense of like embodying something that you want to become, kind of like fake it till you make it is magic. Um, and I'm also reading the same thing by Mitch Horowitz because he just released his new book, Miracle Habits. And he mentions the same thing that like your choice of style and your gait and like for him, it's tattoos and t-shirts, right? He's projecting an image of who he wants to be and how much more powerful he became as a person and how much more things ended up lining up for him once he started being who he wanted to be unapologetically. Um, and I can see how theater would be a form of magic in that you are embodying something else. You're becoming someone else. You're portraying a character, but how that character can actually kind of invade your psyche a little bit and become part of you. Yeah. Well, I think two things. Um, I think a, that's why a lot of performers get so fucked up yeah. is they're inviting uh, just all these different characters to, to come through them. Right. Cause when you're performing, the idea is, um, Really, the idea is to like marshal your your body, your voice, your breath, your imagination to the end of becoming a, a transparent medium for this character to come through. Yeah. And so, if you're just like an actor who's doing plays and movies and TV and stuff, like you're letting all these different—they're uh, not I, who knows if they're spirits, they're artistic creations. You're letting all these characters come through. So, so there's this. Um, there's that piece of like, oh my God, like you're letting all these different energies come through you. Um, I also think that that's part of why, probably about 10 years ago, I, I really stopped working um, for other people um, and started making my own work. So XOXO, my company, uh, it's all original work. Um, so it started as plays I was writing and then I would direct them with the company. We've since moved into a model where Myself and the performers and designers of the company are um, training together. We're doing this sort of physical, vocal, imaginative training work together. And then through that training, the material of the shows that we make comes out of that. Yeah. Um, and it's in that way, I think that the work we're making functions in a way like, um, like a hyper sigil um, and that we're, we're generating, you know, we'll pick a thing that we're kind of interested in and then allow a story or some sort of uh, artistic form around that, that idea to emerge from our work as a group. Um, we've been asked uh, in interviews and stuff before, I get asked a lot, like, is, are all the XO shows, do they all kind of happen in the same universe? And, and it's true. There's, uh, there's definitely like, um, if not like if not repeating characters that show up in the shows uh there's definitely like there's tropes that show up there's a sort of like and our shows have have run the gamut from like explicitly um occult in in content to um to less so but yeah the the work has really become about um 
choosing what we want to embody, choosing the things that we want um, to allow to live in our body, in our, our heads, you know, in a yeah. creative, creative context. Well, and that, then, and that kind of sparks thoughts in my head of like just um, the choices in terms of, of content and media that you consume. Cause those are also things that kind of like live in your head. Right. Um, yeah. And I, I've been doing this experiment over the past couple of days of doing like a, a TV video game fest. Cause that's, that's, that's been my leisure activity since I was a kid. <laughs> um, Cause I'm a early nineties kid born in 1990. So um and letting go of that for a week just to kind of see what happens in terms of like, mostly it was more like I need more time and these things take up my time um, and don't let me, it's not that they don't let me. It's just that um, if I take a few things off the table, maybe I'll have more time. And that's been um, really helpful, but also just in terms of just like, there's some things that um, I consume that I'm just like, I don't know that this is something that's like, assisting my overall goal as a human being um, and, and wondering uh, whether or not that should, those, sh those things should come back after the fast is done, right? I think I'm going for a week. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, no, that's interesting. I, when, I was, uh, when I was younger, like, I remember I certainly, like, I, I can almost like hear myself saying it to my parents. Like, if you had suggested to me as a teenager that like watching violent movies or playing violent video games was somehow bad for me, I would have been like, oh, you're ridiculous. I am a strong-minded individual and this is uh, absurd. But I, I just can't like, I guess I'm, maybe I'm just an old person now, but like, it just seems undeniable to me that like if I eat, like knowing me personally, Matt Cosper, if I put sugar into my body, it's going to make me feel bad. Like I'll get high off of it. And then my guts are going to like yeah. revolt and my, I'm going to crash. Um, to say that like having, putting violent imagery or um, misogynistic imagery, whatever, like fucked up, scary shit. Yeah. Putting my brain is not going to have the same effect as putting uh, or putting too much alcohol in my, whatever. Like, yeah. Um, it just seems kind of ridiculous to like deny that the things that we consume are going to inform you know you are what you eat um yeah, yeah. and then that it reminds me of mitch horowitz again because i'm 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 only like a chapter or two into his new book and i'm I'm really loving it but he talks about this quote from anton lavey um and he talks about how he's like if i consume the same shit that everyone else does then perhaps i have my own unique image still but when i talk i sound like them yeah um because I can also talk about pop culture or whatever drivels coming around these days and I'm going to be boring. It's going to make me less unique. Um, and that's a really kind of like hardcore extreme view of it. I think, I don't think um, anybody's well, going to become super boring because they watch the show everyone else does, but <laughs> it, makes, it makes sense. And it, uh, Connor Habib talked about this on a, a show with, uh, with Gordon. Uh, it's always Gordon. Um, <laughs> yes. About like uh, Twitter speak, like you love to see it. Um, that these, or maybe he, maybe it's not with Gordon. Maybe he's talking to um, Duncan Trussell. Oh, anyway. I love Duncan Trussell. <laughs> Duncan Trussell is uh, awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's he's talking about basically these like um, language memes, right? Like uh, that we all kind of start 
talking, we, 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 get, we get infected by language viruses. Um, and I, I do think that there is, uh, there's something real about that. If language is uh, in large part, especially in the sort of the mainstream materialist uh, worldview, like language is how we think, um, if you get caught up in speaking the same way as everyone else or like, or dumbing down the way you speak or sort of flattening the way you speak, um, there can be real sort of psychic effects to that. Um, I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but the, my wife and I have been talking a lot lately about whiteness as a thing that is clearly bad for the world and is clearly bad for people of color in the world. But it's bad for white people too. Like whiteness is this made up thing that in order to, it's a, it's a devil's bargain where you give up in order to get privilege and in order to, to be in the upper caste, the upper caste in society, you have to flatten yourself because um, there's no such thing as white culture. Like white culture is Applebee's or like getting upset when people talk too loud. Like you go to Europe, and, and Lithuanian culture is different from Italian culture, which is different from Scottish culture. There are these beautiful, uh, diverse cultural expressions um, that have been flattened by capitalism and whiteness into a sort of a dead thing. And I think that is connected to uh, what we're talking about with language, what we're talking about with the media we consume, uh, or it's even the food we're eating. Yeah. A great tweet uh, yesterday or today that was like it said um, if if overnight every uh, everything in the grocery store had to change its labeling to reflect the the mega corporation that owned it yep our grocery stores would look like what conservatives think grocery stores in Cuba look like like there'd be like three or four labels and that's it. Um, and so I do think monoculture is, um, is a pretty pernicious um, sort of thing. And it, it's pernicious because it, 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 it does violence on marginalized people, but it also does violence on the people who, um, who have bought into it or were born into it. Yeah, I think that was, it's something that's been on my mind lately for, for all the apparent reasons, right? Because I think, because um, I, I think it's been a magical struggle of mine, but also just a, a straight up like white person struggle of mine trying to figure out like, what is my culture, right? And trying to connect with something because I think if you can connect with something, I think it gives you benefits. Like obviously, I think of like, well, if I were, um, if I were someone, if I were like a black person with that heritage of like, you know, some of them can connect to voodoo or hoodoo and that's, that's a thing that they have access to by right of who they automatically are in a culture that's rich and has, you know, its own myths and stories and I try and connect with something and I'm like, man, what do I have? And for me, it's just like, well, there's certain things in my culture that have been given to me that I um, value, like I kind of consider Lord of the Rings my culture. It's kind of this weird thing. Um, where like Tolkien created it because I think he also realized that like us English people don't have a culture so I'll make one up um and then I was listening to this band and this came up in the last episode with uh Ulysses since he's a musician um, there's this band called High Lung and they're German and a large portion of my ancestry is German 
and it's like this primal like cave people music and i'm like but i was into it i was like this feels like culture to me <laughs> i don't know yeah that's tricky i've had the same experience of like of wanting to find uh magical traditions magical uh you know that, that are connected to my my cultural and ethnic background and then trying to navigate like man like you start looking into like uh uh, Odinist circles and you are fucking every rock you turn over there's a Nazi underneath it and it's um, it sucks man because like I I, I don't want to get involved I, I first off I just don't think because of my my background something like Voudon or um, African religious traditions they're not bioavailable to me like I, I don't think I have access to them and they're just not for me right yeah. so I want to find magical traditions that are bioavailable to me that I'm that my ancestors practiced um, but so many of them for a white dude are um, have been snatched up by actual literal Nazis um, so that sucks yeah I mean part of me was thinking about like well I had this weird thought of like, well, thank goodness for Catholicism because it seems to be like wide access to everybody. But at the same time, there's like, it has its own history that's messed up too. And I'm oh, in this yeah. weird, yeah. I mean, yeah, you can't, I think it's it's gonna be hard to escape um, the, the fingerprints of empire on any like, yep. um, well, on any religious tradition that's been like around for 2000 years and, and was a, you know, Holy Roman Empire. Yeah. Uh, but it's funny, I, doing uh, some uh, genealogical work, I found that I have like all these um, Catholic ancestors, which I didn't, I didn't know, like all these, um, like people who like, uh, I don't know if Elizabeth the first burnt them at the stake, but these like these English Catholics from the um, 16th century, and it blew my mind. And I was like, Oh, well, cool. So I do have uh I mean, I guess you could make the argument that Catholicism, because it's the universal Catholic church, like everyone can sort of tap into it. Yeah. But finding that little piece of, of personal connection to, um, to what is a, a pretty explicitly magical uh, religious tradition, like I'm kind of stoked. Yeah. And I, I'm, I almost guarantee I've got a Catholic ancestor in there. My dad was Catholic and converted to uh, Mormonism. So there's that there already. I know that his entire side of the family is pretty heavy Catholic, but it's, I'm glad you brought up the the whole whiteness issue in the first place, because it's kind of been, um, it's been work that I've been doing lately, um, mostly privately. Um, I don't tend to tweet about it or talk about it too much just because I'm just like, I don't want to say the wrong thing <laughs> is one of the, one of the things, but also I've been looking at um, just decolonizing and the the things that empire and and colonialism forced on people down to the way that we form community as people i've been looking at um indigenous people in particular like looking at the way that they lived their lives before we came along and the way that they did things and and kim tallbear in particular has been revolutionary both on the on the terms of in terms of like learning more about indigenous people but also in terms of sexuality and that stuff, she's a, she's a polyamorist and just, she has very interesting ideas. Um, Who is what's that? What's her name? Kim Tallbear. Okay, cool. I'll look her up. Yeah. I, I got recommended by another rune soup person to look her up because I was, 
um, asking questions relative to sexuality, since that's a that's a big hang up when you leave Mormonism is is coming out of one very specific view of what sexuality is into the wider world of what it could be or should be. Um, so she's been useful on both of those fronts, but um, <clears throat> just seeing like, oh, there's a way to do things other than the nuclear family with a mom and a dad and kids. Like yeah. you can have a community that's like aunts and uncles and, and matrons and, and, and people who are involved intimately in your life beyond just mom and dad, right? Um, and how helpful that is to have like multiple adult people shooting, you know, who are like really wanting you to succeed rather than just, you know, just mom and dad. And especially the thing is if that relationship falls apart as it does so often um, with divorce or death, then those kids get left in the lurch without um, sometimes without another system to hold them up. And so just thinking about different ways of doing things and, uh, part of me is like, don't be appropriative, <laughs> but like learning from other cultures has been um, a fascinating way of doing it. Yeah. I think you can, um, you can learn from other cultures without it being appropriative. I, it's funny you mentioned that, like my, um, my family, we, my mom, my dad, me and my brother, we moved to North Carolina when I was like five, maybe six, and um, from California. And like, I really didn't uh, have a close relationship with my cousins and my, my, most of my uncles and aunts were drug addicts. Um, and like, I think my parents just didn't want to have anything to do with it. Um, like lots of prison, lots of addiction, just a lot of um, messy shit in the family. And that's also part of why I'm trying to do this ancestor work. I'm like, something is wrong. Yeah. Up the line. Like we need to figure out how to like get the family okay. Um, but, but I, I feel like I missed out on having that big, um, extended family, you know, and like, and then my parents got divorced when I was 10. And so I spent a lot of my life just kind of in denial about what family can be and like what family is. And as I, I got married a year ago and, uh, as my wife and I talk about, you know, kids and, um, what that all means, I'm having to really try to wrap my head around um family which is family is really fraught for me yeah and i i kind of have this weird experience of having like this very specific idea of what family is forced upon me and then dealing with the the blowback because it's 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 this very tortured position i'm in where i'm like i love my kids to death the both of them but i had them way too early <laughs> because that was a cultural thing yeah and like that's got to be tricky to 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 deal with man like having these little people in your life who you love, 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 but who exist because of a paradigm and worldview that was, that was not your choice, really, that you were indoctrinated into. And, and I think any relationship is gonna be fraught, like, and that's kind of what's cool about being in the world and, and being in relation to others, right? It's like, stay with the trouble. Uh, there's, there's good and bad to every sort of, uh, and maybe this is like, um, like the, the post-structuralist in me talking, but like, um, like I always think that like, what's, what's more interesting to you, sorry, let me say this the right way. What's more interesting than just you or just me is what happens between us, right? Yeah. Like relationship. It's why I love live theater. Like it's, it's a cliche now that like every time I do a curtain speech before one of my shows, I say to the audience, 
it's not theater until you're here, right? Like we've been doing something in the rehearsal room, but it's not theater. It only becomes theater once there's a group of people on one side of the, the divide and another group of people on stage and there's this exchange of energy. That's, um, that's where it becomes theater and that's where, the, that's where this sort of um, magic, like the, the actual magic occurs in this third thing, the third mind that's created by audience and performer. Yeah, and, and I kind of, I'm starting to think the same way about um, like this podcast in terms of like, I've had, what is it? 11 episodes that it's just been me talking, right? And then I, I was doing journey work and other things and divination and, and just felt like I was getting the message, like open this thing up, bring other people into it. Um, it was weird because I try and articulate the Cancerian spin I have on it because I have a 10th house cancer. Um, mm -hmm. And for me, the thing that has always seemed to be the most successful um, has just been being interested in other people's lives, asking them about them, intending for them, you know, via like, you know, the, the discord groups that we have in, in Rune Soup and, and other things. And just like, because the last decade of my life has been very hermity. Um, <laughs> I think I was, I was dealing with um, my feelings about Mormonism and my lack of belief and faith and trying to square that. And it took years, um, but I did it alone by myself. And then emerging from that and finding a community among the room suit people, but you know, other people in general and just like how rewarding it's been to reach out and just talk to other people, be concerned about their lives or, and then via this podcast, more like I can give other people a chance to, to speak, to, to take their message and their life story and put it out there, even though I have like this tiny little audience, <laughs> but at the same time, it, it's growing and it's getting bigger. Like, I think I released the episode with um, Ulysses the other day and it's the most successful day that my podcast has had yet. And so I'm just like, we're going in the right direction, I think. And so with that as the segue, one of the things I was going to ask you is what kind of spiritual lesson do you feel that you are particularly qualified to, to share with, with other people? Um, that's a good question. I want, we've been talking about astrology a lot. So I want to start by saying, so I've got that Scorpio moon in my 10th house. Yeah. And um, so I think, and we were talking about this earlier. I, I think there's there's something for me about like um, initiation and knowledge of, of uh, death and sort of um, liminal spaces. I think for whatever reason, um, the thing I, I'm here to share with people is that uh, this is not the only game in town and that um, you should use your time on the planet however you see fit, frankly, but just with the knowledge that um, there's more than meets the eye. Um, I think a lot of the theater work I make is, is, is around that too. Well, that and the idea that we're not alone, like um, that um, there is a lot to be, I love it. I love it. This is what you're just talking about. Like there is great gain to be had in connecting with the other. Um, 
because that third thing is created when when two meet it's like the three of cups right like the when you get two two individuals together a third uh entity is created um yeah so i think that like my um the spirit what's the question the spiritual like what spiritual lesson that you feel you're uniquely qualified kind of like so it's kind of specific to you but also i mean it's just a lesson you you would try and pass on yeah i think uh my work as a theater writer and director and as a teacher because uh, i teach theater but i also teach like uh, i teach an english course on tragedy greek tragedy uh -huh. um classroom teacher and i, I direct uh, plays and stuff too um i think has a lot to do with just kind of gently or not so gently um initiating folks into um the the mysteries <laughs> yeah, nothing you know, just nothing important just the the mysteries of life and death um yeah man i think that that there is uh something beyond the veil and that it's important to like get right with it and try to communicate with it um the sooner you start doing that in your life the um the better things will go for you yeah, no, I, I agree completely. I think, especially in, in terms of like all the stuff that's happening right now, the, I feel like it's this weird thing of like, um, uncertainty on a certain level is, is uncomfortable for all of us. We don't know, you know, whether with the virus or the social unrest or like the election or whatever's going to happen. Like, it's just like something's coming and I think we all feel it. Um, but we don't know what it is, but at the same time, like I'm getting very strong messages from my spirit team or from the work I'm doing of like, it's about community. Like you guys need to figure out how to come together in a way that, um, that's, that's different than what's been done. I feel like the world has been running on individualism and liberty and like free liberty of like the self for a long time. And we've forgotten what it means to be in community with each other and that that means like it's everything from like me talking to more than myself <laughs> on a podcast but also just like <clears throat> being interested in other people's lives other people's spiritual practices um because i come from this paradigm of a religion that's just like we have the one true church like trademark the one right and then realizing that i'm like you know what everybody's got a little piece of the truth and you only manage to kind of create your own little world, your own little weird truth that's kind of unique and different from everyone else's. And it doesn't really apply. Um, it can help other people, but it's not, it's not something that you can just force into every person you meet's head and say, and get this conformity, but there's, there's beauty in the diversity of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, I think, uh, I think that's beautiful. And I think that that's something I've, I've, I'm not as um, conversant in Eastern religions as I would like to be. Um, but, and so maybe I'm talking out of my ass when I say this, but an idea that in my brain comes from Eastern religion is this notion that all of us are different. Uh, all of us are a way for the divinity to know itself. That uh, you're a little shard of the divinity. I'm a little shard of the divinity. My cat out in the hallway is a little shard, whatever. Like we are all, the universe or God or whatever, knowing itself in an ecstatic, 
experience. Um, and I really, that resonates with me. And I think that, A, because it just, for some reason, it has the, realm, the ring of truth to it. Mm -hmm. I also think that if you can, if you can see the divine in that fucking awful person who's in front of you in line at the grocery store, um, as well as in um, your lover, as well as in, um, I don't know, like a, like a mangy dog on the side of the road. If you can see the divine in all of that, you're going to have grace for people and you're going to, you're going to live more gently and more joyously. Um, and you're not going to feel so alone. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's great. I, um, okay. I think I'm out of questions, so we might, uh, wrap it up there. I think that's, well, it's funny. Cause I, like I said, I threw the cards and I feel like we've touched every single one of those cards. And so I'm like, the message has come, um, this, like, I feel like that's what happens each, uh, I've only done this twice, but <laughs> like it's happened, happened with Ulysses. And I feel like it's happened with you in the sense that like, you put two different minds together and then something unique comes up. Right. Um, and he would, he referred to it as collaboration and he used the word collaboration a lot because he's a musician and that's what he does is, you know, yeah. him and several other people get together and they make something. Um, so yeah, no, this has been super valuable. I will go ahead and wrap up the recording and.